What's up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am the host of the Entrepreneurism Podcast, here with a very special guest. He is an ex-employee at Tesla, Facebook, and Google, the founder of Cashflow Club and Day Trade Today, has a real estate portfolio of $6.7 million, Mr. Richard Garcia. Richard, what's going on, man? What's up, Brady? What's up, people? How's everybody <laughs> doing? <laughs> Good, man. Good. I'm glad I could finally get you on. Like I was saying before we started recording, I found you on Instagram. Your energy is really, really high. Uh, you're doing some great things in day trading and real estate space. Before we dive into your story, because like I was saying before too, you know you better than I do. I want you to tell your story. But I always ask this first question. What's the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on? I'll tell you right now, uh, and this is not, I had no idea that you were going to ask this question, but uh, I bought, <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never not forget this. Uh, I bought a boat when I was younger and, um, you know, I'm 31 now, but uh, let me not age myself. But the <laughs> boat I bought was around like 20 years old. I just bought, I just made some money off of trading stocks. So I was like, dude, I got, I got to put some money right. somewhere. And so, of course, you know, I buy a boat and instead of putting like a name, I was like, you know, I'm going to change this up. And I bought it from some dude that had some naked lady painting on the side of it. So I was like, oh, this is pretty epic. So I left <laughs> that. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was the worst decision I'd ever made. One of the times I was taking the boat out on the ramp, the, uh, the trailer fell apart because it was all rusted and the boat just slid right back into the water. Jeez. And then the trailer just broke on me on the, um, on the way up. So that, that was a, that was a hurdle. The, you know this. I mean, you're an entrepreneur. The day you buy a boat and the day you sell a boat are the best days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In between, it's it just terrible. sucks. Well, yeah. I, know, I know cars lose value pretty quickly. Is that the same for boats? I'm not familiar with it. You know, it's interesting. I actually, I bought the boat. And uh, I bought it and it had like trees growing on the inside. The guy just left it in the backyard of his crib. Right. So, um, you know, typical entrepreneur, right? You buy something that's old and bad and, mm -hmm. you know, re you replace it and you make it better. So I actually ended up replacing it, but it needed some custom, uh, some, some custom engines, some parts within the engine itself that weren't even being made anymore. So I had to buy them like on uh, eBay, and you know, find them somewhere around the world. Um, long story short, super complicated after three months finally got it on the water and three months later ended up selling it because it just yeah. completely fell apart on me so uh yeah so it, i made all my money back on the boat that i'd originally spent and about like one like maybe a thousand bucks on top of that right but it wasn't a good investment it didn't pay me while i owned it that's for sure right. the marina right. cost alone was like 500 bucks a month so yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think people will buy things like that thinking of it as, a, as an asset, right? You have something that has value, but people don't understand not only what it goes into repairing it, but just docking it and just having it, right? And you don't even use it and you're paying on it, right? So I think people, people have a common misconception of, of just assets and liabilities in general. And we can dive into that because I know you're in real estate and people have mixed feelings about buying a house, renting, all sorts of different things. But before that, I want you to tell your story, right? Because you have an interesting background. You worked at three massive companies, Tesla, Facebook, and Google, with their founders being easily the richest people in the world to doing your own thing. I'm assuming now you're probably making more money than you were there, but a lot of people dream of working for those huge companies. So I'm interested to hear why you made that leap and how you even got to work at all three of those companies. Right. Um, man, I, so I worked actually before going into tech world, I worked in finance 
Okay. I went to Bank of America when I graduated from high school, not even from college, from high school. So I got right into Bank of America as a teller and was counting money. Things were changing in the financial sector. And that's really where I got my debut into kind of, you know, where I'm at today. And at Bank of America, I went through a lot of corporate courses and training, and they were revamping a lot of their internals because everything was failing at the time. You know, Lehman Brothers right. had just failed, AIG had just failed. So Bank of America was trying not to fail. Warren Buffett came in and bailed them out. So all this stuff was going on, right? Imagine, and, and this is just the truth, truth be told about from entrepreneur perspective, uh, a real estate investor bailed out a bank, just to throw it out there, just so we could throw it out, <laughs> all right? So Warren Buffett. Uh, but no, so, so the big thing is, um, I got to learn the internals of how lending works. I got to learn, um, you know, how to work with clients that have not a lot of money and that have a lot of money. So I got really well, uh, you know, uh, trained inside of these companies and I migrated up, you know, in promotions and whatnot over a few years. And I worked at Merrill Lynch and that's where I became a, a trader. And I started to do a lot of time heavy lifting on trading. I was doing proprietary trading and I was doing client management, like doing like client advisement under a financial advisor, you know, right. not with, with no series licenses or anything. You're just 20 year old guy. So at that time I had a pretty tough decision. So I was like, do I go full-time to school or do I go full-time uh, work? And I decided I'm going to go full-time work and I dropped out, but I was already making like 85 to hundred grand, you know, supplementing uh, some extra income on the side with trading. You know, that trading was my side hustle, you right. know, but then it became, I became a, uh, a proprietary trader, ultra high frequency trader. And I started making, I started making a lot of money. So I took that money and I invested it in real estate and I quit working and I stopped working for Merrill Lynch and I just, I, I quit working altogether, but that's where I bought the boat, right? I bought the boat. I bought two cribs, two houses. Um, my strategy that I used at the time, I had no idea that today people would think that was a strategy that would work really well for them. And that's now what we're using. Um, at that time we were doing, you know, for me, I, I was buying a property that was, re, you know, I was just rezoning it from a, a single family home as I was buying it to a, um, to a triplex because it was zoned triplex, but it was being used as a single family. So those are very rare. And I used a little data to find this stuff because I was looking at bank owned properties every single day in the bank. Right. So I, I took the liberty of taking, a, taking some money from my stock trading and I went and I bought, uh, I bought some real estate. Next year, bought another, another property and I kind of stopped there. And I just started living off of that money, right? right? Like typically what you would see, somebody just like kind of stops and just lives off of it. But the thing is, you know, I started running the numbers again really fast. And I noticed that, you know, in five years, I was going to be underwater, right? Because cost of living adjustment, inflation, everything was going to, it was going to get my hands real fast. So I was like, you know what? I got to go back to work, right? I just got, I just got married. You, you mentioned that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're just having a child, right? If I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken. So yep. congratulations to you. Thank you. That's a big step. I got three kids and I'll tell you right now, my first came at the exact same time, 24 years old. My wife was 18 years old, right? So you know, young. And I said, man, I got health insurance to pay. I got <laughs> bills to pay. I got a house that's not paying me because now I got to kick everybody out and live in it with my wife and my kid, right? right. So I sold the boat because <laughs> the boat had to go. There's no way I was going to take the baby on the boat. Just wasn't right. going to happen. 
So man, it um, night and day changed. And so I started applying for jobs. And one of the things I was doing as an ultra high frequency trader was I was working in a small prop firm, a uh, proprietary trading firm where the other guys from Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch were at. And they were like buddies of mine. And we were doing ultra high frequency trading, but my job at the firm was to recruit people. And I didn't know that it was a, a recruiting job. But what I would do is I just use Monster and Career Builder, which basically don't exist anymore. And I would call these ex-finance guys on the back end. And I would be like, yo, hey, you know, you just got you know, let go off your job or whatever. Um, are you interested in doing proprietary trading? You know, come in, join our firm. Well, I thought that, you know, maybe I could go and get a recruiter job after that. And so I started to apply for jobs. And I said, you know what? I saw these IPOs. I saw uh, a Facebook just recently IPO'd. I saw Tesla. I saw, you know, Twitter. I saw all these different companies IPOing and growing at exponential rates just with mass investment. Right. And I was like, man, this is the, this is the new wave. I got to get into tech. So I only knew recruiting and finance. And that's when I decided, you know what? This is the time for me to take a risk and apply to jobs outside of the state. So I was living in Miami, Florida. I'm born and raised in Miami. And I applied to San Francisco. Never been there. Never been to California other than just on a, you know, on a road trip or something. So, dude, I, I, I talked to the recruiter for Tesla. They saw my resume. They saw Merrill Lynch. They saw uh, Bank of America. And, uh, and they saw that I was like, you know, I'd, I'd been doing proprietary trading. And I guess the recruiter that had uh, contacted me was kind of doing similar things in his background as well. So right. there was like-mindedness. And when I talked to him, I said, listen, man, he goes, why do you want to work for, for Tesla? This is when Tesla had like 4,000 employees, right? 4,000, 5,000 employees. Right. It's 2015 um, in May. And I go, listen, man, I don't, I don't know about um, Tesla, but I know that I can contribute to the company. So the, my contribution doesn't end on my job description. It ends on whatever the value of the company that's needed is what I can provide. So if you need me after hours while everybody's out, if you need me to, you know, clean the place up and make sure that everything's nice and tidy for the next day. So when people, I, there's no extent to my job description. Let's put it that way. We're building a company. It's a startup. We need to do whatever it takes. And the guy's like, dude, we, we got to have you talk to, uh, our director. And then that I, I did a, a call with a director an hour later, they were like, Hey, we'll fly you out here. Come and, uh, come and take the job. So my job was to go out and be a recruiter for Tesla, the first recruiter in San Francisco for, and for engineering. So I didn't really know a lot about engineering, but I was like, I'm willing to learn, you know, I'll, right. I'll figure it out. And, uh, and I just, I sat down with the engineers in house that we're building out the solar array systems, all the software connectivity behind those platforms uh, and products, uh, all of the all of the the web and, and interfaces that we have for our customers and our internal employees, um, dude. They just everything project management related to software engineering, uh, design. Uh, worked for the CMO for Tesla for a long time. Worked for Elon himself for a while for SpaceX uh, and some of the work that was being done there. Um, I got a job working at SpaceX and I was held back from that. And I decided after being held back from such a cool job to stay at Tesla, to just get the model three released. I got so upset that I decided to leave and go to Google. I was like, you know what? Forget it. You guys want to hold me back from a job. Then I'm going to go and take another job somewhere else. So we were integrating the platforms on the Tesla side with Google devices so you can control them. Hey Google, uh, tell me what my battery life is on my Powerwall. 
and then it'll be like boom boom and it'll tell you what you know what that power wall is so i i was integrating that on the tesla side and on the google side i was working with these guys already so i basically just said yo like i'm, I'm looking and they were like here you go you know and, and so i had an offer from facebook at that time i had an offer from linkedin from microsoft from yeah uh from uh amazon and i didn't want to take any of those jobs because i honestly the most appetizing was uh, was Uber self-driving, right? It was, um, that was one of the most appetizing, but even then their compensation philosophy. And then I thought to myself, do I really want to work for the taxi cab company of the future? Like, I, I don't think that that's an attractive, do I really want to work for Amazon, the Walmart of the future? No, I don't want to work for that, right? So all these really cool innovative companies sound awesome, but when you're working in the 1% tech space, these companies are not really that awesome. And you understand right. also the culture behind it. So I was like, you know what? I'll go to the Holy Grail, which is Google. And that's where I got to work on machine learning and artificial intelligence. And we were building all of the algorithms that were in the Google Home devices. So my job was after I'd hired so many engineers, I had almost 800 engineers at Tesla. So that was, you know, that was a lot of work in three years. Uh, worked and built Salt Lake City's office and San Francisco's office and Palo Alto and all these other offices across the, across the country. I left at Tesla, we were 30,000 employees at that time. So I'd seen a lot of growth. You know, my team, I had a big team that I was managing as well in Vegas and whatnot and a couple of other states. And I, I left there and I went to Google and I started working on the machine learning stuff, but I, was, I didn't have a team anymore. It was just myself. I was just building some pretty cool technology. And that's where I was like, man, I saw these millionaires at Google, right? And Google, you have more time for yourself. It's not as fast paced as Tesla where Tesla works you to 90 hours a week. Right. Right. Cause Tesla's a 24 seven facility. It's always on. So milestones on a startup like that, like if we did not uh, succeed in our deliveries for the, for the quarter, we'd take a massive hit on the stock. So we didn't want that to happen. So we'd work to the bone, but at, at Google, these guys were chilling. You know what I mean? They, they were like, there was really not really big deadlines. Like, nothing's really happening on Google maps or on, you know, the deployment of these, these devices. Like it's, it's, it's very laid back It's a software company with right. uh, just, you know, agile methodology. So anyways, Google was super dope, but it gave me a lot of time to elevate a little bit of my education on the financial side again, and get back to who I was before I got into tech, which was a real estate investor and just a, you know, stock trader and more so an entrepreneur. That's the route that I really wanted to go. So I'm like, dude, I'm seeing all these millionaires driving their Teslas to work. And I just, I just worked at Tesla. They're, 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 these are the Google employees driving Tesla vehicles. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, uh, I don't want to be like these guys. These are lifers. They call Google the, gold, the golden parachute because nobody ever leaves. They just right. give you more money if you decide to go. So I was like, you know what? Um, I'm probably going to make my debut and exit and start my own business. But I did have an opportunity. I had a buddy of mine that was a director over at Facebook and he'd given me an offer, then give me another one, then gave me another one. And I was like, you know what? With the education I have on real estate, I'll just start doing whatever I can to maybe on my side, hustle, buy more real estate. And at the same time, I would, you know, do my nine to five job. And these are pretty laid back, chill companies. So figured that that was a possibility to do. Milking it kind of, you know what I mean? Like making right. sure that I can get through, do my work, get the things done, but also build my exit strategy. Super right. important. You need your nine to five in order to exit your nine right. to five. So important. 
Your nine to five fuels your side hustle. Your side hustle and your nine to five, they fuel real estate and real estate and your side hustle, which turns into a business, ends up uh, fueling enough of your life that you don't need your nine to five. Right. So once you remove that nine to five, you could actually start dedicating all your 40 or 50 hours or in Tesla's case, 80 hours a week back to what's most important, which is your own side hustle turned into business and your real estate. So at Facebook, um, I joined them on the data, a PhD data science team to recruit these engineers to transition us from text-based format of the platform to video-based format on the platform, right? That was the transition we were making. And dude, that was wicked awesome. But at the same time, I was done with working. I was like, man, I just got from Tesla, super cool company, went to Google. It was kind of like, eh. And then I went to Facebook and I was like, done. It's like, okay, right. I, I've made enough money. I've made enough uh, moves. I bought enough real estate. And so during that time, I was starting to do a lot of cash out refinances on my existing properties. I bought during the, the last recession while I was working in the bank. And I also, um, I also bought new properties and I was doing those cash out refinances with those, with those new funds that I'd taken out from the previous. So I was funding all of these deals and leveraging out, still putting 20, 25% down on all these properties, then fixing them up and then refinancing those properties right after. And then before you knew it, I had so much real estate, I had to develop an entire team to manage everything. Property management, trucks in the field, uh, I needed a title company that was going to be doing all the consistency of that work, insurance agent to help me. Um, you know, my lender was somebody that not just needed to help me one time, help me many, many times, keep my folder open on his desk at all times to be able to right. continue how that I needed to have partners essentially. That's how it had to work out. Right. So I started to learn from these people the day to day and the most recent policies, structures, practices, illegalities, legalities, tax right, all this stuff. I had to learn by asking them, building rapport with them, treating them more like a partner. And of course I'm buying real estate. So they were going to just give me as much information as possible. So that's what I did. I almost used them as my on the go mentors. Right. So yeah, dude, uh, from there I started posting pictures about my real estate on because I was already being groomed at Facebook while the, while I was working there. We used to have a platform called Facebook for work or, or it's workplace and workplace allows you to post on Facebook, your, your public profile. So I'd already got into the habit of posting, even though I didn't really like social media that much. I got into the habit of posting on Facebook and I was posting about my properties and my main platform I'd always been using as a recruiter was LinkedIn. So naturally, I'm posting on both of these platforms. And what happened was people started asking me a lot of questions. Right. Like, yo, dude, how are you buying so much real estate? You work a nine to five job. And I'm like, well, you know, let me explain. And so then I would see more messages come in every time I put another post up. Hey, we're doing plumbing on this property. But then this was the uniqueness of it. These guys know I'm living in San Francisco, but all my real estate was purchased in Miami. So okay. I was buying everything from my phone and from my computer. It's crazy. I never seen any of my real estate. I, at least I thought that it was crazy at right. that time or what people thought that it was crazy. I thought it was normal because I'd been working a remote job for so many years. So, so how does that work? Cause I know you live in Columbia now. 
Uh, I'm assuming you still operate off that same thing. You don't actually physically see your real estate. How do you make those decisions without actually seeing it? Yeah. So I think at first it was difficult because I had to be present when I was working. So, you know, like if I had a general contractor going out and giving me an estimate or something, I would actually have to like be there and FaceTime so he can go and say, Hey, look, these are the things, or he'd have to take a video for me and send it to me so that I can see what was happening. Right. So I got a lot of video data, which was actually, it worked out to my benefit because I recorded my entire journey and I was just posting it on social. So people were like, damn, that's pretty cool. Look, he's, you know, and so you'd see my face on a, uh, walking around a building that I was about to buy and they're doing an inspection and then I'd buy it. Don't get me wrong. I made mistakes and I overpaid for, uh, you know, things that right now I have maybe 50% less cost on. Right. But at that time it was either, yo, jump in or don't yeah. like you can't wait for exactly. it to happen. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a good, um, thing people are experiencing nowadays. Right. Cause like I mentioned before, me and my wife just got our first house and it was an issue in the beginning because if we didn't act fast enough, the houses went off the market like that super, super quick. And half the time it's from investors like you, right. Who are coming in and, and buying the houses in cash and just renting them out. And it's just an easy transaction for the seller. Um, but I think that can be easily translated that principle just really over to anything. I think people, especially in the entrepreneurial world with how many different opportunities there are to generate income either on the side or full time, uh, what you can do on social media, what you can do in real estate, people get paralysis by analysis. They, they analyze all these different income streams and freak out and ultimately don't do anything. And in reality, just like you said, if they would just act quick enough, um, the opportunities would actually present themselves realistically to them. Right. Uh, but, but I, but I want to ask you this because you know, you, you have a lot of drive, you, picked up opportunities when they presented themselves to you. Have you always been that way? Or is that something you learned just through trial and error? You know, my mom always tells this story about me um, where at, I think it was uh, at seven years old, she always claims that she had bought me a hundred dollars worth of school supplies. Right. And well, it wasn't a hundred dollars worth of school supplies, but it was a hundred dollars worth because I bundled all of the school supplies up into different bundles. And the mm -hmm. day that we had to come into school, the people that forgot all their stuff, I started selling all that stuff off and I ended up making a hundred dollars at the end of the day. So I've always captured opportunities, but, um, I never thought big, I never thought big enough. And that's the, that's right. the problem. Like things that look, a buddy of mine told me back in the day, I was trying to start up a company, small little company doing something pretty stupid. In fact, it was like a, it was right before the whole like big, you know, thing where California was going to legalize marijuana and all that stuff. So I was like, you know what, maybe I do some type of thing that is going to be in that industry because there's right. so much of this going on and this is going to blow up. And it did. But when I did it at that time, this was before Alibaba or any of that stuff. And, um, and my buddy tells me, he's like, dude, for the amount of, of work you're doing for these, I was doing rolling papers. I was like, man, if I sell per box, it's going to be easy. It's a low cost investment. Right. If I sell per box, I can make $10 a box. It's only going to cost me four, whatever, whatever. But he's like, dude, for the amount of time and effort you've put into selling the small little boxes that you have, you could have just as easily built a computer and sold one of them. And it would have been just as, you know, you would have made more and you right. would have done less. So thinking bigger was something I'd not done until I went out into the entrepreneur world on my own. That's kind of where, where it started. So once I left, I think once I left Facebook, 
not even maybe once I was probably in Google, but I was, as I was, I was starting to buy consistency in real estate. That's when my mind started thinking bigger, man, I could go to 20 million here, you know, right. man, I could go to 50 million here really right. fast. So, uh, that, that, that thinking bigger mindset, especially for an entrepreneur, it's so important, man. It's so important. It really is the make or break. Exactly. Because, look, uh, let me give you this example I gave to the guys today. I, I think you're going to appreciate it. Um, I, t- I was talking about we were doing a two-hour walk, and I got uh, two of the guys in the penthouses next to me. You know, they're, they're from the United States as well. And so we do our walks, and we do our DJ parties, and we have, you know, fun. And when we do our walk today, and I tell them, you know, guys, there's three things that uh, the rich think about and have already ingrained in their mind and teach their children. So naturally it just comes off. Mm-hmm. First thing is that there's no such thing as weekends. There's no right. such thing that doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a day off a day off. It's like saying that you are right now, you know what, tomorrow I'm not on. I'm just like, I'm, I'm just off that. What does that mean? That, right. that doesn't, that doesn't make sense because the world is still active. The world is still on. Everything's still happening and your life is still ticking. And your time clock is still ticking and it's passing you by. You just waste 24 hours in your day by being off. Instead, what the rich do is they don't believe in weekends. What they believe is integrating their professional life and their personal life together into one. And Mm -hmm. that's what they do. And then they teach their children that the friends that they have are their partners in business, right? That there's trust there. There's a bond there. This is the problem. The people that don't live by that rule, they're going to likely stall out or fail. And the reason why is because if you go and hang out with people, if you meet people on, uh, if you meet people that are in business, in business, and then those people become your friend, you're always going to be doing business. Yep. You meet people that are on break and on vacation and those become your friends, then you're going to always want to hang out with those people on break and on vacation. And those people, if you try to bring them over to the business side, it's going to be very hard for them to adjust because they don't want to do business. Exactly. If you, want, if you want to bring the people over that do business over to the, to the laid back, you know, time off side, the weekend side, those guys are going to be like, Hey, I don't do weekends, bro. You want to go to the golf course with me? Let's go. But we're going to talk business. All right. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two is leverage. It's so important. If you're an entrepreneur, you always have leverage all mm-hmm. the time. The rich have leverage. Uh, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you an, I'll give you an example of this. When you're thinking about, uh, when you when you're thinking about a, uh, a deal, right? So when you're thinking about a deal, and that deal is really, really solid, using leverage to your advantage to acquire that deal, or, or, or using leverage to acquire that new client, whatever it is that's relevant to your entrepreneurial journey, it is so important you recognize that leverage is going to allow you to get that opportunity right then and there at that very moment, right? right? Because number three is savings. Savings is bullshit. It does not exist. <laughs> There's no such thing as a saving. Saving is either you are putting money to work or you are losing money, but there's no such thing as saving money. Not right. in this day and age. Today's world that we live in, money deflates in value faster than a fucking balloon. You understand? (laughs) And that's what it is. So if you right now are thinking to yourself, well, I got savings in my account. Bullshit. Your money is going down every single day. You're not putting it to work. Put it into your business. Do something productive with it. Spread it out. Don't diversify because that's how you get taken advantage of. When you start putting your money into many different things, 
you don't become an expert at one. Right. You need to focus on one thing, do that shit so fucking good that then you start making a lot of money from it and then you can diversify. That's how the wealthy do it. But the, you know, the, 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 the poor minded, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it as the more Robert Kiyosaki mindset, right? The poor minded, the, the, the poor mindset, as he says, those people are not thinking big enough. They're thinking about themselves. They want to diversify all their money into many different things. That's how they stay poor. Yeah. They have no control over their money. And because they have no control, they stay broke. Yeah. So, so three very important things, right? And let's recap real quick. Uh, you got savings, you got leverage and you got, there's no off time, right? So obviously the people who aren't born into wealthy families with wealthy moms or dads who are instilling these values, they need to learn them somehow. What is the best way for them to learn them and actually ingrain it in their own mind themselves? It's the number one most important thing is the words that you use in your life. It's literally your brain. It's, it's your mindset. You see, look, I, I'm, 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 I put a video the other day about how these guys, uh, you know, you, you hear these guys that are, they're doing ice, ice baths mm -hmm. and they're doing all these crazy things to hack their bodies and their minds. But really all it is, is just your words. That's all you have to do. The words that you say that come out become real. Everything you say becomes real. If I tell myself and I say it out loud enough, I'm going to get to the point where I also, not only do I convince others, but I've literally convinced myself to take enough action to make that $100 million possible, right? right. If you sit there and you say to yourself, like my children were here yesterday, and I'll never, you'll never hear me say to them, ever well now obviously never again but even though maybe you never know but you'll never hear me say to them i can't afford something when you tell your children you can't afford something like if your parents told you that you're going to teach your kids that they're going to teach their kids that you're going to have a poor mindset in your family for the rest of their lives right i'm just giving you an example of something that is very easy to do mm -hmm. and is going to just change your mind so instead of saying i can't afford it start saying, how can I afford this? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a, a, another, maybe another example here is like, um, you know, if you are, if you're right now an entrepreneur and you are, you are going through the practices of your day to day job, you know, and you also are building your side hustle and trying to migrate over. The biggest thing you need to think about is your time, time management, right? Your children also need to be thinking about their time. But if you're not thinking about your time, they're not going to think about their time. And right. then if you, don't, if you have employees and you're not thinking about your time, they're not going to think about their time and nothing is going to get done. So it's super important that time is, is a factor of the formula of risk versus reward. Most people don't understand, can't comprehend that the time is a majority factor in the risk worth, uh, versus reward ratio. And also the words that you say, that you manifest. These things are of the utmost importance. That's how you change. You change by thinking about time as priority, not money as priority. Right. And, and you think about the words you use during that time. Because if you're using the wrong words, but your time, you're, you're factoring it as super precious, you're going to do all the wrong things. Right. So... Just, so, just really, 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 really important things to think about when you're on the, the starting journey uh, as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. 
So, so throughout this journey, right. Cause I'm sure you've had struggles along the way. You've probably had failures. You probably had times where you might've even questioned, why am I even doing this? Why am I trying to chase something that might not seem attainable, right? In the short term, but it is long-term. How do you respond to that, right? I mean, there's words of affirmation as well, and it's in a lot of its mindset, but when you're enduring these struggles and feel free to give some examples, how do you get past that and, and put yourself on the actual path to your successful goals? I mean, look, when I left uh, Tesla, Google, Facebook, I'd just done a 10-year run career from finance to tech, and you're never ready. Just like, again, I bring up the kids thing because this is a very, like, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a go-getter. And if you have, like, kids, you got to be on it all the time. Exactly, exactly. Right? So it's very relevant topics. But, um, I, I, look, even today I have imposter syndrome. You're never going to, you're never going to, like, to, to go from being a nine to five person to all of a sudden making hundreds of thousands a month, it's not, a, it's not something that you immediately comprehend when I left my nine to five job it was I had employee PTSD for a while I had employee PTSD for a while why because I was preparing the entire time on failing the entire time I was preparing on failing and and because you're preparing for failure you feel like and Tony Robbins has said this he summed it up perfectly burn the boats I don't know if you've ever heard that before that analogy Mm -hmm. but he says burn the boats meaning you are um, you know, you're, tra- you're trapped on an island. You have one boat left that everything else is capsized. You have that one boat left in the harbor. He says, go and burn the boat. Don't give yourself an option. Right. And, and that's the thing. When you know you have an option in the back of your mind somewhere, you're not going to make the decisions that you need to survive. Right. So if you always think, well, at least I can always just go get a job. That's your planning for failure, right? right. That's your, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to plan for failure. So, so you will get to a point that you will start to plan for success and you will take on different uh, ideologies, philosophies, uh, risk factors, risk levels. Mm-hmm. Um, you will better understand the state of the business by taking on that risk and you will make better decisions for the business right. versus you thinking about, oh my God, what happens if I fail? Mm-hmm. I'll give you another statistic. I think this is important. It takes, uh, n- you're going to fail as an entrepreneur nine out of 10 times. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is guaranteed. So you should already go into your entrepreneurial journey knowing that failure is just an element of experience and it is a factor of success. Yep. And you right now are thinking otherwise, like, well, my buddy made a million dollar company. Well, your buddy made a million dollar company, but some would consider that a failure, right? So if you're thinking about making a 10 or 20 or $30 million company, your buddy's company is a failure. So you need to be thinking about success. Mm-hmm. And that is how you will then make decisions that are best for the business. Yeah. I, and I agree with all that for sure. And it, and it kind of leads to this other question and we can close to this question, but you used to work a nine to five, right? And you yep. made that leap when you were, you know, ready to actually get out into the business world, but you're also just done with the whole nine to five. I can't do this anymore. I'm ready to just jump into it. But what you just said, uh, it sounds like you kind of disagree with people who have a backup plan or a plan B because you're already assuming plan A might not work out. 
So for people that are making that leap from a nine to fiver to an entrepreneur, how ready do they need to be? Because a lot of people will try to have a plan B, right? If, you know, if I'm making a leap, well, I can always go back and get a job in finance or human resources or engineering, right? How ready do you have to be to make that leap to where you can actually have the mindset around, I don't need a plan B because I'm good. I'm going to make this work. Yeah. So I think that the challenge is that everybody's state of financial necessity Mm -hmm. and expectations is different. And that's the problem as an entrepreneur, what you should be doing is eliminating all of the variables of, of cost, right? Of X of expectation. So what you, what you first do is you refresh your, 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 your bank account. You refresh your, your financial mindset. You tell yourself, I, first of all, I can't afford to just start wasting money on materialistic things. Right. Right. Not as, not as in your first starting phases of your journey. Right. That you can definitely say you can't afford. You have to restrict yourself there. Now you can say, how can I afford this? However, here's the, here's the, the complication. You might not be ready for it. Or if you go and try to afford something, it might not be the business model that might actually blossom for you. So I, I refer to it this way. You got to college, right? I did. Yeah, so did I. So a lot of your, a lot of your listeners are probably college either students or they have already graduated college right. um, in some capacity. Yep. So you all, know, you all know, you didn't know what you wanted to do for your major in college. You had no idea because they don't really prepare you in that within high school and middle school. They don't really right. prepare you, right? Um, so what do you do? Well, you take electives. You go through all of these different random courses and you figure it out and you find your journey. The entrepreneur journey is very similar to you finding your major, the one that you're Mm. really good at, the one that you enjoy the most. So what you do is, what do you do when you go to those courses? You're investing. You're not investing money unless you are spending money to go to that school, which in case, then you are spending money, right? But if you are spending money and you are also spending time, you're making a massive investment into your journey. So, you know, I went to school and I took things like astrology and stuff like that. It didn't have nothing to do with my actual journey in life. But what it did do was it, it did guarantee me that I would never go do those things. That's what it did do, right? So that's the, the, the glass half full situation. So what you're gonna be doing as an entrepreneur is you're gonna, you're gonna identify areas of opportunities that you're good at. Mm-hmm. And out of those three or four, you're gonna make micro investments in them in both time and money. You're gonna make micro investments in those th- three, four, five things, whatever you can juggle at one time, right? Now. You got to make sure you're able to focus and give that two, three things all you got because then it wouldn't be fair. But naturally, what will happen is that naturally you will gravitate to the thing that you like the most, the thing that you enjoy the most. And you'll give that the most attention and you'll see the most results happen from it. And when those results start to uh, spit out uh, financial gain, what you do is you clip everything else and you reinvest all of the monies that you have made off of those, you know, that, that investment or that, that investment or that, uh, that service model or that, that business or whatever it is that you're doing. And you reinvest, you cannot live off of that money. You can't even touch that money. You have to take the money and put it right back into the machine. You're building and constructing a machine and you are the operator. You see, most people, what they want, they want to be the machine. Hard work back in the day was the definition of success. So naturally, if they don't see you working, 
people think that you're not successful, right? Or they, they think that it's a lie or they think that it's not real. You know, the other day somebody asked me like, Richard, you're in Colombia and you're on the rooftop all the time making videos for Instagram, but you don't show your properties. Yeah, I don't show my properties because I'm never there. I have people that manage those properties <laughs> for me. Why? Because I made a machine that I eventually removed myself from and I just operate from above. Mm -hmm. That way I can keep my precious time because you know what I got into this for? I didn't get into this to become rich. I got into this. The, I, rich is the product of, of, of my goal, but it wasn't why I got into it. Right. I actually only got into it to just get my time back. I had children. I wanted to be with them. I didn't have the time to be with them because Tesla and these other companies were working me to the bone. And I decided, man, I just want to replace my working income with passive cash flow. That's it. That's all I wanted to do. Working income, passive cash, cash flow. I actually didn't even care at all if uh, it took me a long time to get a, a big chunk of return on my investment. But it worked out because I was able to then hack a, a strategy on it which I then used the fast track strategy to be able to scale up and use cash out refinances to my advantage using gentrification, using data, which I'd already understood really, really well from these companies. So I was just regurgitating everything I'd learned into my own business. Right. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's awesome. And I think uh, a lot of people out there, if you are listening, you are a nine to five and want to be an entrepreneur. I, I, I do believe everybody's journey is different, right? But you have to figure out what does that financial position look like for you? What is going to make you comfortable? And I think you just chase what you want. But I think I like what you said. If you don't even know what you want to do, but you know you want to work for yourself, try different things. And I suggest, and you probably would too, try them while you're at your nine to five. And then once you find something that's really hit, go all in. And then when you've made it happen, you know, leave that job. I think that's the easiest way to put it. Um, but I, I, I like what we said too about mindset. I think mindset's huge here. And I think mindset, especially nowadays, knowing that it's possible for you to work for yourself, right? I think too many people are groomed, especially through the education system to work for someone else and be happy that you have a job, right? Because there's too many people out there that don't have jobs, but I think we're getting into a world where people are becoming very unhappy working for someone else and I think entrepreneurism, the foundation of this podcast is very much alive right now. And it's going to continue to grow and grow over time. I mean, I don't know if you've seen OnlyFans, but oh, those yeah. guys, yeah. Like if you think about OnlyFans, <laughs> right? Like anybody can have an OnlyFans page and become an entrepreneur and basically I'm almost a multimillionaire like overnight just off of an OnlyFans subscription page. Like this exactly. is the world that we live in today is becoming more independent as crazy as it sounds it's united more than ever but it's independent more than ever and we're seeing this with quarantines and craziness of what's going on but more than ever we're seeing people take flight into their own uh versions of new business ventures that never existed before and this is the best time to be able to do it this is the yep. best time if there's you know it really does go back to the, to the saying that there's no better time than now. Literally. Exactly. No, exactly. And I hate to sound cliche. I hate that. But I, I have to truth. say it's the truth. It's mm -hmm. the truth. There's no better time than right now. You have a supercomputer that you're probably listening to this podcast on right now in your hand or you're listening to it from your, you know, from, from your earbuds or whatever. From your, I mean, from your AirPods. You could be anywhere in the world listening to this. 
right? Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible thing to think about. And so if you have that much, look, social media, um, especially for an entrepreneur, is a gift from the gods. And if you have that gift in, the, in your possession and you know how to use it, it is like Zeus's lightning bolt. You can basically control and do more than what you ever thought you could do in your potential that you have in your mind. You, you just will surpass that expectation time and time again. Why? Because you have a mass audience, because you can curate content, because you can drive value, because you can receive value. And all this stuff is all based upon providing value to your audience. And, and this goes for any entrepreneur journey, regardless of whether it's social or not. Your clients, you should always be providing value because mm-hmm. the other guys may all they want to do is make the money. If exactly. you're giving value, they will, they will stay with you. They will be loyal to you. You know, and that's, look, when I go get a haircut, it's dumb as this may sound, but there, we have entrepreneur barbers that are probably listening to this, right? (laughs) When I go get a haircut, I don't normally go back to the guy that just fades me up real fast. And then, you know, Hey, uh, let's bring in the next person. I, you know, and I know everybody's busy and I respect the time, but I like to talk to the guy. Hey man, how you been? What's up, John? How you been brother? What's going on? What's new in your life? Tell me about the other guys. What have they been telling you? What's, what's new in their, in their lives? What are you hearing? What's through the grapevine? What's going on? That, there's some value in that. Right now, right. I got my barber. He comes to the house because he and I have exchanged value with each other. I've given him clients. He's, given, he's, he's now giving me convenience. Right? I don't have to go drive there. He comes to my house. You know, there's all this stuff is, but when you create value for people, you always are going to see value in exchange. And that means, and this is something I did not do, and this is a big thing that I never talk about, um, but I think it's something that every entrepreneur should know about. You are planting seeds from day one, from the day that you were born. You are planting seeds. Exactly. And these people, it's like Johnny Appleseed walking down the street. You are literally planting these seeds, and these seeds are going to blossom and then produce fruits for you. They're going to produce these beautiful, juicy apples that are going to fill you up and keep you healthy and and whole. And it's the same concept, if you can feel the analogy of where I'm going, it's the same concept with how you curate your experiences and your relationships with your clients, your followers, your, your, your people, every single person in your life. And if you can curate that enough where those fruits start to blossom, there's a lot more benefit to you of having a blossomed fruit tree than there is just taking immediate gain from somebody quickly and moving on. You're going to have a much harder time in life trying to do that than instead planting seeds and, 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 and letting those, you know, feeding the seeds, watering the seeds and making, and then benefiting from the seeds later. You know, there's a lot of yep. people that followed me for years now, years, and I've never put pressure on them, never sold them, never do anything. Cause I don't like that. I, I don't like being sold. If I'm going to buy something, I'm going to buy it because I like buying it. I want it. I need it. Right. Right. Sometimes people don't understand that they need it. And, and that's another completely different thing. And sometimes it takes having a conversation like we're having right now for them to decide, hey, man, you know, what? I kind of need this. Right. Right. Um, but it's an important factor for you to consider that people are going to provide you opportunities. Maybe not now. Maybe not in two years. Maybe in 10 years from now, the person that 10 years ago started following you or the person that 10 years ago you contacted and said, hey, man, here, yeah, send me your resume. I'll send it over to this person. I'll hook you up or whatever it is. 
those people can come back later on in 10 years and say, hey, man, I've been following you for a while or I've been listening to you for a while. I've been, I've been watching you. Or, I've bought a little bit from you. I've been doing this. And that, or I've always been ready to buy, but I haven't been able to. But you know what? Now I'm ready. Let's invest. Let's do this. Let's do that. But if you're trying to sell everybody, mm-hmm. then you're going to have a hard time scaling. Yes, I 100% agree with that um, because – what does everybody try to do nowadays? That exact thing. Every single time somebody reaches out to you and we did the same thing when we started our company, every single person we're reaching out to, we're trying to sell them and it's obvious. And I, I said, I do not like this for one reason, because I wouldn't like it to happen to me. And people are more inclined to buy if they have a relationship with you. Let's build a relationship. If we hop on a call, I'm not hopping on a call with you to sell you. I'm hopping on a call because I want to connect. What do you do? What do I do? Let's talk. That's it. Now we're connected. But down the road, if someone's looking for something that I offer, guess what they're going to think about? Hey, I connected with Brady a year ago and I know he does this. Let me reach out to him first and see if he still does it or where he's at. I think that is, that is a very good way to put it, of planting seeds because entrepreneurs nowadays are either, you know, have mental issues because of what they see on social media or they think that, okay, I just have to sell anyone and everyone. It doesn't matter who I talk to. And that is why they will not scale because no one is going to buy from someone who all they just seem greedy. Right. And I think that's, um, that's a big issue nowadays that needs to be fixed, but I think it becomes fixed by people like you who are preaching the power of just be a genuine person that wants to connect. That's it. You muted yourself. Mental (laughs) issues or financial issues, right? Mental issues or financial issues. That's what they're going through. So that's why they sell. Mm-hmm. That's why they sell mental issues or financial issues. There's, there's really no, no if, ands or buts about that. Um, yep. because what, ha- what happens when you, when you have money and when you don't have mental issues, you don't sell, <laughs> exactly. you, advise, you consult, you provide free value, right? So you have to stay in the mindset always and that, that you, you have a clean financial balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't get greedy. And, uh, and that you're just genuinely looking to help somebody out regardless of what you're going to get in return. Exactly. Exactly. I 100% agree with that, man. But hey, let's go ahead and start wrapping up. Uh, a lot of podcasts typically say, let's get one piece of advice. I think there was tons of advice throughout the episode. So I end with this question. Why do you love what you do? And why is it important for entrepreneurs and business owners to also love what they do? All right. So the thing that I love most about what I do is that first and foremost, every single day is a different day. Every single day is a different day. Every single day is another challenge. And, and I get to own it. I get to own those challenges from start to finish. So, you know, you, you hear companies talking to you about impact. They're really, you know, when I worked at Google, you, the, the recruiters, I myself would tell engineers and others, hey, the, the impact you can make to the world. But really, I knew that what were they coming to do? They were going to work on the Google drop-down menu. You know, it's like, dude, you ain't really helping the world. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> working on the drop-down. You're working on the scroll-down yeah. bar. Right? Like, come on, bro. All right? You're working on the emojis at Facebook. Come on, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, you ain't helping the planet. All right? Um, however, you know, and they, they, they will see that differently. So, I will say that. They will see that differently. <laughs> uh, uh, but there's Kool-Aid involved with that. So, what, what can you do? Right, uh, right. But, but I, I don't want to help the planet. I want to help people. I want to help specific people, people that want my help. I want to be able to go and, and give people shelter, give people jobs, 
give my family a better life, give myself a better life. I want to help other people come up too and get them to have a better life, right? That, those are all things. And so I will swap out the ability to impact the entire world if I can impact extremely one, two, three person's lives. That brings me more value in my life than it does going and working on, you know, on something really impactful at Tesla or Google or, or Facebook, right? Right. And you are part of a big machine and, and that's really, really cool to think about, but you yourself can create your machine. It's possible. And your machine can still help people out. And those, those, those people that you help, like I said, they're going to be fruits that continue to bear for you. And so that's, um, that's the biggest thing. I think from a more of a, a personal perspective, um, it's, it's my future generations, man. I have to take control of that. There has to be a fork in the road at some point where somebody takes ownership for my generation, for my family exactly. name going forward. You know, my, my, ba- my dad, uh, he passed away at 32 years old. So at a young age, me seeing that at like eight years old and not being left anything, not having anything as a construction worker. For me, my mom worked at a daycare with three kids left over. Like, dude, that was a hard life. We lived in an apartment. So for me, I was like, dude, I don't want that life for my kids. I want kids. I, I decided that early. I don't want that for my kids. I want, I want to be able to have a life where when they see me, I'm visible. I'm there. I'm in my house. Uh, I'm around them. I run, my, I run my day. Nobody runs my day for me. That's a very important thing because what they're going to do is likely follow suit with that. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I think, I think that's key, man. And I think uh, a lot of what we talked about in this podcast is hopefully going to inspire my audience to look long-term, right? What do I want to be long-term? How do I want to impact my kids, my kids, kids, and what can I do now to change that? Right. But uh, Richard, I appreciate your time, man. Where can my audience find you on social media? Yeah, you, uh, you guys can just go to Richard Garcia Official. Um, that's my main uh, page on Instagram. You could also just look me up on YouTube. Um, same thing, Richard Garcia Official. Or uh, you can check, check out Cashflow Club. That's where we buy real estate. We've bought over, at this point now, $16 million of real estate in 11 months. So we're growing really fast. We do co-investing. Um, you know, we have a little bit over uh, 200 co-investors inside, uh, inside of our investments right now. And we have thousands of members in Day Trade Today. Day Trade Today is another completely different business that I run. And you can also look all of these up. We have top traders. Those top traders, uh, they help people and guide people in becoming experts or at least profitable in day trading to help people build a side hustle. You know, I think one of the things that was most important I heard from my audience when I listened, and this is a big thing for, for your audience to listen to, is that there's going to be three types of people. There's going to be people that don't have any money, that need your help and learning how to make some money or learning how to benefit. There's going to be people that have money, but they don't have all the money to get into an investment or to do the thing that you're maybe wanting them to do. And then there's going to be people that have money. And so you need to have product services for all three of these types of people. Very important. Because if not, then you're missing out. If you only have for one, you're missing out on the other two. And the other two are still there and they still need your help. Exactly. 100%, man. But yeah, reach out to Richard on Instagram. If you have any questions, let him know what you thought about the episode and Richard, I appreciate your time, man. Thanks Brady. Thank you for listening to the entrepreneurism podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 a.m. Central time. We would greatly appreciate if you would head over to Apple podcasts and leave us a rating and review. 
I'm Brady Morgan, your host. We'll see you next time.